0: Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, i listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Solar.
1: I knew certain things would happen, if not when. What did you say, Tom? Everyone on the board gets sick. Margaret knew. Immediately. Margaret knew this all the time. Talk to me, Tom. Margaret? Not now, Jessa. Everyone gets the train. Train. To the to the to the a mistake. A-thon is a machine
0: control. The solar control. is a sci-fi drama created by Chris Porter and produced and directed by Jenny Curtis. The story is about the manned solar research probe A-thon sent on a mission to study a temporal distortion around the sun. When a catastrophic solar flare nearly destroys the aethon, the remaining crew must work together to keep hope alive in the growing darkness. Several famous actors, including Stephanie Beatrice, Alan Cumming, and Helen Hunt, lend their voices to the show, which is produced by Kurt Media. The first episode, called The Pilot, picks up after the solar flare has damaged the aethon and Earth, We are introduced to two surviving crew members, Ren and Jamal. Separated from each other and Earth, with their ship's AI damaged, the situation is only made worse when Jamal claims to be seeing ghosts moving through the remains of the ship. I spoke to Jenny and Chris remotely from Los Angeles. Why don't you just introduce yourselves and tell us what you do primarily on solar?
2: I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to introduce Chris Porter. Uh, (laughs) so because he's so humble you know chris porter is the creator and writer of solar he is just masterful at what he does he spells out this story in this brilliant expansive way and not only did he write the words that you're hearing but also he composed all of the music for the show We worked together at Kirkco Media and kind of created this project in tandem. But the creative force and genius behind it all is Mr. Chris Porter.
3: Thank you so much. (laughs) I will take the true honor on introducing Jenny. Jenny Curtis was my co-director, co-producer. She was literally the second person that I talked to as soon as I conceived the project. And I was like, I want you to be involved in making this thing. She was definitely the actor's director. She has a phenomenal acting background. In addition to her directing and putting together the dialogue edits and offering feedback through the whole process, she also voices the pivotal character of Ali, which stands for the Athon Language Interface, which is the voice of the spaceship that the cast is on.
2: We both went to California Institute of the Arts, CalArts. Uh, Chris went for music. I went for acting. We did not know each other there, but nope. we do work together <laughs> in an immersive theater company in LA here called the Speakeasy Society. And that is how we started working together before shifting to podcasting.
0: So tell me, what is an immersive theater company?
3: An immersive theater event is basically, instead of there just being an absence of a fourth wall, there's basically no walls. The -hmm. audience is part of the show, and it's not just like, oh, look, you're wearing glasses. It's like, hey, you are part of the show and a part of the storytelling experience. Your presence actually affects and changes the story.
0: Since we're talking about your background, can each of you give me a little bit about where you came from as artists and writers or directors, that
4: kind of thing?
2: I'm blessed enough to come from a family that loves the arts. I grew up watching theater and feeling that that was where I belonged. I didn't actually think that was my life path until two years into my college experience. I was at a college called Pitzer, and I had the gift of interning for Patti Lapone, who, if mm-hmm. you don't know who she is, she's yeah. an amazing Broadway actress. Tony award-winning, just stunning creative. I got to work as her personal assistant for a summer while she worked on Gypsy before it went to Broadway when it was at the New York City Center. And um, it was just a life-changing experience because I got to sit in the arts with the people at the top of their game and realize this is where my soul feels full. After that summer, I shifted, I left Pitzer, I applied to acting schools, I went full bore into, I want to pursue the thing that satisfies my soul and makes me feel like I have a purpose. Acting has done that ever since. But I also grew up in a family that was very business oriented and realized that I'm not just an actor. I really like having my hands on all sorts of things in production. Mm. So I have worked as a director, as a producer. I've worked in animation. I really enjoy the exploration of every single dark corner of the creative world. And so Mm. I never expected to Land in audio, but this is where I've found myself. And I am absolutely loving this way of thinking differently and telling stories. We like to say the audio world ignites imagination. So it's been a really fun place to come play.
3: Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? So, like Jenny, I was very fortunate to have a a family and parents that were very um, pro arts. Even if I didn't want to do that, they were like just open to exposing me to different arts and symphonies and musicals. I decided that I wanted to pursue music in my undergrad, but I was very much wanting to also do English and writing. So I I did the weird thing in knocking on all the doors and getting all the permission slips signed so that I could split my major between music composition and then I have a minor in creative writing, uh, which was kind of abnormal, but thank goodness my undergrad let me do it so that I got to start doing things like writing my own librettos for my one act operas that I was composing for my thesis and things like that. The writing and music had always been pretty parallel. I then took a year off between undergrad and grad school to just study. I went to a couple different screenwriting seminars just to learn about that craft. And I ended up getting accepted to CalArts for an MFA in music composition. And it was there that I started working a lot with animators because CalArts is a huge animation department. So I started doing just the scores for animations. And then I started asking like, hey, can I also do the sound design for you guys? And then can I find ways to make the sound design and the music fit together like a jigsaw? They were all very open to it because CalArts is a very experimental school, and they were like, yeah, let's see what you can do. And I had a lot of fun just exploring where music and sound could cross each other and be part of telling the story as a whole. As soon as I graduated, I actually befriended Julian Just, who's one of the co-founders of Speakeasy Society, and I did the music for her thesis theater project. And the way that I like to word it is that after that, I kind of got adopted by the theater school. So that they they would not only let me do music stuff, but they started coming and saying, hey, be a test audience. Give me your feedback. How would you do this scene differently? And I was very lucky when the Speakeasy Society asked me to join more completely as an associate artistic director. So it's a little bit murky as to whether Kurt Co. approached me or I approached Kurt Co., but we definitely (laughs) both met on a mutual plane. And we were like, what we're really excited about is creating an audio drama unlike anything we've heard before.
0: You both have performance backgrounds, music or acting. How did that lead to audio drama?
2: Kurt Co is a family business. My father for 30 years was in magazine publishing with Kurt Coe Media, and I had no interest in being a part of it. <laughs> I <laughs> did. I did not want to do that. Magazines were not my thing. My decade of experience was in production and performance. And so I spent my time freelancing on set and I learned to edit in film and video. I had all of these skills that I was gathering. And then when Kurt Co. shifted from magazines to podcasting, suddenly I had something to offer. I was the most qualified in my family to suddenly come (laughs) back and be like, oh, let me offer some advice or let me help with this. And it started very much as, you know, I'm around obviously because it's my family. And it very quickly became oh, but this is really fun and my help is valuable. So it wasn't originally co shifting to podcasting because of audio dramas. It was kind of because of podcasting as a whole. So Chris and I, as as we came on board, both had talk shows that we were producing as well. I would like to believe it's also because we have such a strong background in narrative that we knew from the beginning that was the direction we wanted to take the company in.
3: In a broader sense, I think that both Jenny and I consider ourselves storytellers, first and foremost. And sometimes that's being done through the acting. Sometimes that's being done through music. And what's cool about immersive theater being our background is everything can be part of that storytelling from the walls to the floor to how you're walking. So for us, it was more like this is a cool space. We can tell a story in a way that's easier for us to be able to tell it in an audio medium than it would be in almost any other medium.
2: We love the medium because it highlights... The aspects that are our favorite in the creative process, right? Like I love performing and, I, and the fact that we get to really focus on performance here excites me. And Chris is right. a genius when it comes to words and music and the fact that the words and the music really are the star of the show in audio drama made it really the perfect medium for us to be creating in.
3: What about science fiction? Are you both sci-fi fans? Uh... (laughs) for me growing up my father was definitely a trekkie i would not classify myself as a trekkie but definitely like it was a sunday night tradition to like eat dinner and watch star trek voyager but growing up definitely i still loved science fiction and i still love science fiction and i love alien i love uh, 2001 love gravity i really enjoyed the martian sci-fi has always been a part of the things that I do. And I noticed that when I was writing just for me personally, outside of the theater stuff, I was usually gravitating towards that genre uh, in my own particular way. And so for me, the answer is yes, I'm a, I really enjoy science fiction. And Jenny?
2: <laughs> I, was, I laughed before because I wouldn't have told you beforehand that science fiction was like a medium that I would enjoy if you ask me about most of the top science fiction shows, I've seen or heard some of them, <laughs> but what I really love about it is that it is one of the most creative genres there is because the the options are limitless, because you get to imagine scenarios that aren't set in any hard and fast structure, because <laughs> it's all about what could be possible, And so that has been a fun realization for me is that I I really enjoy the genre. And I I didn't know that I would other than, you know, I I like I like the stuff that I've seen. It just wasn't at the front of my radar.
1: Mayday, mayday, mayday. This is the Aethon. The mission has gone critical on day 532 of Aethon's mission, March 21st, 2045 at 1832 hours coordinated universal time UTC. The Aethon was in the middle of deploying and activating payload four of the SimTech gravitational time distortion experiment. Wright, Ozzy and Tali were launching the satellite via spacewalk. Aquino was in capsule four in the medical bay. Per Commander Tali's orders, I was the onboard commander during the walk. After issuing an alert to Earth, the Aethon was struck by the largest solar flare and coronal mass ejection recorded to date. The CME overloaded our systems. The payload, which hadn't fully deployed, exploded and blew out the center of our ship. Compartments 4 through 7 were destroyed. The flare was pointed directly at Earth, and for all I know, maybe you don't have a way of reaching us anymore. Maybe we're alone. I don't know what kind of a priority there would be in rescuing us anyway, but... There were six of us left. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but there were seven. Then six, and now two. Pilot, Jamal Davis, and me. Tell me about
0: Solar in your own words. What do you think of when you think of this story? What does this story mean to you both?
2: It's something that is just darkly poetic, but deeply hopeful. To me, it's really a story about what it is to be human and find your self-worth. And know that you can care about other people and be cared about. This shifted for Chris, especially while he was writing during the pandemic, because it was always a story about isolation. But that really was amplified times, you know, a million when we went into a lockdown and it It
3: became kind of painful to write for a couple months. Yeah,
2: (laughs) sure. Yeah. And but, but the the underlying current of you can reach out to someone and they will be there, or someone can reach out to you, and it's okay for you to be there. The connection between humans, who are deeply flawed but also deeply important, is really what the story is about for me.
3: Chris, emotionally, I don't have anything to add. to What Jenny said—that was a perfect summation. If you're talking more about just plot dynamics, <laughs> I, I, it is. It oh, is you about mean what's a- the show about? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It is about a a spacecraft that went to close orbit with the sun for some mysterious experimental purposes that you'll have to listen to the show to find out. While they were there, they got hit by a massive solar flare that overloaded the system and tore out the center of the ship. The two astronauts on board the spacecraft are on different parts of the ship and they can't actually see each other. So they're having to have radio communiques to figure out how they can possibly survive and how to reach Earth or even if there is an Earth able to reach. So there's a a lot of different things going on, but definitely that central core of isolation and not knowing if there's someone out there who can help you resonating in the situation for our characters.
0: That does sound very much pandemic influenced, right?
3: But I swear the whole concept happened before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you record this during the pandemic?
2: We did. Sure did. For a little while, we were like, "What if we wait out the pandemic and <laughs> record when it's done?" <laughs> and that obviously you no, know, and it would be in a couple of months, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we realized we we got to figure out our way around this. So we ended up recording in a studio. We were lucky enough to. Become friends with Shane Salk of Shane Salk Productions, who has a studio in North Hollywood. There was a SAG approved studio for recording during the pandemic. We recorded each actor individually instead of all together. And they would go into the booth, you know, one at a time. The engineer and myself would get to be in the studio. Chris would have to join via remote session to listen in and give notes. It was a bizarrely isolating, but also wonderfully (laughs) connecting experience for me, at least, because it was the only time at all that I was seeing other people. uh
3: I mean, definitely for our actors, too. They were so happy to be doing something during the pandemic. (laughs) Everyone kind of came to it and brought their all because it was something good to be doing and something positive.
2: As a performer myself, we talked a lot about how do we make this the best experience for our actors? How do we tee it up for them so that they can knock it out of the park? To me, that is getting to act all the way through a scene. So You know, at this point, I could probably admit it's a little selfish of me because I got to act opposite them, but I would literally play every single part so they could act their way through a scene rather than doing like one line at a time on their own in a booth.
0: First of all, I have to say how cool is it you got to act with like Helen Hunt and Stephanie Beauty and all that. Right? Oh you know?
2: God, I died. I died. Like the first I died. time yeah. The first time I did a scene with Alan coming, I think I literally Alan was the only one we recorded remotely because he was yeah. in New York. But I literally think I just like sank out of frame <laughs> because I was like, I I cannot believe I just got to act opposite this this amazing god in acting. It's just ugh it was so cool.
0: Well, you know, I think what's really interesting and you hit on something I think it's important is that especially in audio drama where the technology means that we can be across the world and mm-hmm. record either together or separately. There's a tendency, I think, for a lot of shows to say just like, okay, actor, here's some lines, give me five or takes of each and yeah. send me what you yeah. got. Right. Um, but I honestly, at, coming from a perspective as someone who has done acting and directing myself. Having something to play off of is key. You can play off your imagination. And yeah, if you're a good actor, you can sometimes pull that off. But just having someone else give you some stimulus to give you a line reading that you can then Mm -hmm. interpret and react to makes your performance so much easier and so much more dynamic. I think that even if you are recording remotely, just getting on Zoom at the same time, just that you can read back and forth to each other is important because that leads to better performances.
2: For sure. I totally agree.
0: The first episode is called The Pilot, which is a clever pun because it's about the pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're the first person to mention that to us directly. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up on that. I got that. The, the first episode gives us tastes of what the damage is both on the aethon and on Earth. We get to meet Jamal, who is the pilot. He is stuck in the reactor part of the aethon. And it's sort of stuck in this loop of constantly having to repair the reactor. Uh, just to keep things going in the meantime he's also running out of air when
4: I was 10 I and my friend Chelsea she convinced me to go and watch a SpaceX launch with her my mother said I wasn't allowed to go we were still in the pandemic and she didn't want me to risk exposure but I had to go so I snuck out And Chelsea and I rode our bikes for something like five miles to get there in time. We hopped a fence to get a little closer and away from everyone else, but still far enough away that no one was patrolling. You could feel the roar of the engine inside of your chest, even from far away. The light from the engines just cutting through the sky, illuminating and blinding all at once. The white column of smoke shooting straight up to heaven, like the holy smoke from the temple being sent to God.
2: Are you religious?
4: No, but I like the poetry in it.
0: We also get to meet Ren, who is a researcher who is stuck in another part of the ship. We also get to meet Allie, who Jenny, you voice, who is <laughs> the AI who is broken. The other twist that we get is that Jamal is seeing ghosts. That is, he is seeing what looks like human shapes that are moving about the ship. In this first episode, at least, the primary antagonist here is the environment. There is no necessarily bad guy that we meet. This is about the survivors trying their best to continue to survive. Talk to me about why you chose that as the the way to kick things off.
3: When I was conceiving of the show, like I always knew that the ship was going to be damaged. Why it was damaged is something that took me some time to figure out, but also you have to listen to the whole season to understand what exactly went down the day of the flare. It occurred to me pretty early on that the ship being destroyed was a big old metaphor for trauma and the, the idea of just something being wrong. Something has already happened. And that's, that's honestly, that's true of the entire human race for each and every one of us individually. There is something wrong inside of us that we have to come to terms with in order to move on. And so setting that up as the premise early on definitely became a big part of it. Also, to get a little bit metaphysical, we as human beings wake up every morning and have to wrestle with the fact that we're going to be dead someday, Mm. and we don't know how much time we have left. And so that's why it was really important to put Jamal in that specific situation. He has already assumed that there is no hope for him, and that is what he's wrestling with. He is going to die. That is really the impetus for starting in this place. It's starting from that very human condition of, hey, I have X amount of time in my life. What am I going to do with it? And having to deal with the various traumas that we each have individually.
2: We are such deeply feeling people. Audiences watch or listen or ingest content in order to be moved Mm -hmm. in some way or another. Sometimes that's moved to laughter. Sometimes that's moved to tears. But addressing themes that cut to the core of all of us, because everybody's battling something, everybody's battling some kind of trauma. And healing in some way. I think that's what's attractive of taking a massive story and somehow making it relatable to everybody.
0: You took great pains to give Ren and Jamal opportunities to voice their inner thoughts. And this is done through the logs or messages that they are recording. You gave them a lot of time to sort of talk about how they were feeling. Talk to me about your choice to write these monologues and to allow the
3: characters' voices to come through in this way so this is probably one of the most exciting things about audio dramas is the fact that we're asking you to listen and just listen there's there's no visual medium to tell you what it is that you're supposed to be interpreting the resource that we get to mine is our listeners listening so as a result we made the choice then that we would give the characters time to actually be heard and understood and to make their own conclusions because that's part of the ride. Like if a character just came in and said, this is what I think about that. That's the end of the story. We would have a 15 minute show. Sure. I, it, it, so for us, it just became this really important thing to hear these characters thought processes, because that's the, that's part of the journey that we were wanting the audience to go on because they wanted to listen and get to know who these people are.
1: also just been thinking about time it took us over a year to get to the sun and i'll be on the far side of the sun for just as long given my supplies and how long it would take to launch a rescue effort from earth if there still is an earth and if they want to save me i have roughly five days to contact earth before it's too late ironically most of the ants are still alive from the tolly elementary school experiment is that ironic? No. So sarcasm is difficult, but you get dramatic irony.
2: Dramatic irony is based in fact. Sarcasm is based in falsehood.
1: Cool. Thank you for the English lesson. Was
2: that sarcasm? Yes,
1: Ali please just... Irv, you said the wrong person. They're not worth it. <sighs> Delete this recording.
2: The style of storytelling that I enjoy because I feel like, you know, we live in a society that everything is like flashbang wow, especially in the entertainment industry where you're getting notes of like shorter, faster, go, 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 go. And right. that's not necessarily um, I think, helpful to storytelling. That's not necessarily what people want. And the overall concept of taking the time to get to know someone, both in real life and in storytelling, is really important to me. So having the ability to take the space to sit and listen to these people and slowly peel back the layers of who they are made me connect to the story more than I think we would have had had it been told in another way. It is funny. I feel like when we talk about this show, I'll talk about the long sitting there. And, and you know, I forget to remind people, like, this is an action-packed show. You know, we've got <laughs> we've, we've got spacewalks and, you know, things going wrong and people are trying not to die. So, like, it's there's a lot going on. There's a, also a couple jokes every now and again. <laughs> there, yeah.
0: <laughs> the people that I often interview on my show, I have a wide variety of, of producers. I have hobbyists that are making stuff out of their basements. And then I have people like you who are professionals working with a production company, are there decisions you make about production that you make because you know you're trying to make a commercially viable product?
2: Yes and no. The answer is absolutely. I will say for this project, there were a lot of heated conversations in our small team of commercially viable versus artistically fulfilling. Chris and I We fought for artistically fulfilling more than commercially viable from the viewpoint of, I don't believe what studios are telling me is commercially viable. I don't believe that audiences don't want to sit and get to know a character. I don't believe nobody's going to listen to a 45-minute episode And we found, as we keep going, like that was the truth. Audiences do want to sit in a story and do want a well-written project that doesn't spell everything out so that they have to use their brains. Yes, it needs to be commercially viable, but I think the question is, what is actually commercially viable? It's not necessarily the bullet points of stupider and faster.
3: We always knew that there would be people who would prefer an action based opening, but we were confident in our choice that there is an audience and there is a market for these people who want to get to know and invest in these characters in the story. And we were just hoping to find those people. And so far, we've been able to find them. When you think about the things that
0: you struggle with, what do you struggle with artistically or professionally when it comes to making your
2: art? There is no explaining what kind of perfectionist I am. So I will say I struggled with that extremely. I don't want to sacrifice anything. We lost a lot of time in do it again, do it again, in the actual post of it and creating the sound of the world and trying to find the exact right way it should sound. And I don't regret any of it because I love what our show has turned out to be. I love the way it sounds. I am so proud of what we accomplished. But it wasn't a fast process, and it wasn't an easy on the emotions process.
0: It seems to me there's always something that can be better. Mm-hmm. There's always something you can do just a little bit better. What do? You, how do you get past that? How do you finally decide? Okay, it's time to move on and do something else.
2: Um, for me, it was definitely people forcing me to. <laughs> <laughs> I guess moving on from it, it got to a point where I just needed people to say like, no one else is hearing this and and you got to let it go.
3: It will never be as good as the thing that you have in your mind. And that's oh, sure. one of the hurdles, like, because we all want to immediately create the Mona Lisa and it's, that's not going to happen. the The other part that I just have to say, just starting is really hard. And the creative process, just sitting there and saying like, hey, I have this idea. I'm excited about it. Now I have to fill up this page with something. That's just yeah. that's just hard. And it, it sucks a lot of the time. I, so that for me is also just one of the things of like, okay, you just got to start. And then once you start, then things will happen. But for me, that's hard part of the creative process.
0: So how do you both measure success? Obviously, this is part of your business, right? So I, I assume you would like to have some sort of commercial success with this. But I'm curious
3: as to how do you measure success individually? So obviously like you said commercially we we know that there are strict definitions for what makes it a success versus income versus money spent but we both said pretty early on in this process that if we put this out into the world if we're given that opportunity and we hear even one person respond back and saying yes I heard you I heard the message loud and clear and I will take this and put it into my own life at that point we will have succeeded our story will have reached someone they will be heard and seen and we will have accomplished the goal of any hopeful art piece.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I mean that was it. Is the goal of success is to affect someone, to mean something to somebody. Of course, if it's millions of people you've affected, that's that's amazing. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we believe that your job as an artist is to reach someone. So, like the fact that anybody was moved or affected by this work is a success. In general, it's it's interesting because people don't tend to reach out to a creator about their work. You know, when yeah. you see something or hear something you love, you go tell your friends or you go tell your family or you know, you write about it in your journal, I don't know. But it's rare to go, I'm going to reach out to the person who made this because you don't know them. The few people who do tweet about the show or send us an email. That little effort to tell someone that you appreciated their work, it means Everything. So I've tried to learn from that. And now it's like I try to remember, like, when I am moved and affected by someone's work, I'm going to do my best to let them know. Because that's that's why you tell stories. What was that? I do not detect any abnormalities.
1: The lights are getting brighter. Is the electricity overloading?
2: Everything is nominal. The
1: console screen is scrambling, Ali. I
2: detect no irregularities. Well, then I
1: think we're both fucked. Incoming message from Jamal. Except, except. It's coming through the airlock to a different compartment, hurry, get out of Capsule 1, lock the partition, Jamal, what are you talking there's about, there's a ghost climbing into Capsule 1, it climbed down from the antenna of the network door. Capsule 3 exterior, it's moving towards the airline, get out, get over Jamal, the Jamal, calm down, it's shorting out the Jamal. antenna, Jamal, it's calm down, I don't out. see anything, there's nothing it's climbing inside, oh, stop. Stop. there's no such thing as ghosts,
0: The audio spectacle of Solar is impressive, and the voice acting is top-notch. There's sci-fi action and intrigue and storylines that unspool gradually beyond the mere survival of the crew. But Solar also invites you to listen, to connect to the characters, and, like them, find hope in dark times. You can listen to Solar on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down to earth sci fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged not even Raelle. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.